So today we can go over, we do story. We've got a few questions to field. Things we, did, we didn't get to last time. And then uh, any new industry stuff or uh, geopolitical stuff might be interesting. Okay, so the couple of things that I had were, um, let's see, VMware uh, purchased Carbon Black this week. $2.1 billion. Billion. Wow, I didn't see that. How did I not see that? Yeah. Um, and at the same time, it was, it was actually just, just earlier last week, um, kind of at the end of the week. Um, so, so VMware making that purchase, like, that seems super smart to me. Like, yeah. They, EMC, Dell, I mean, they, they just, somebody over there, like, makes really good purchases. <laughs> um, but then uh, I read another thing at the end of last week talking about, uh, it was basically Michael Dell saying, like, hey, uh, Kubernetes is coming to VMsphere soon. Oh. And I was like, wait, wait, you're not already there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh -oh. yeah. Like, what? Who who missed this? Who missed that story? Um, <laughs> you know, like, wow. Um, but at the same time, um, the uh, organization behind the Kubernetes thing is actually like going out of business. What? Yeah, they're it's, like the most successful thing. Right. How are they <laughs> like, not making money? I mean, um, every dev team is using that some way, shape, or form. Right, right. Like it, it's it's the thing everywhere, right? Um. Yeah, they were uh, Kubernetes news. Here it is. Um, boop, 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 boop. <sighs> okay, so here it is. Uh, so this is also from last week, but um, so it, it's not it's not uh, Kubernetes per se because that's like just the process, right? But um, Docker is oh, yeah, apparently yeah, yeah. like in freaking huge financial trouble. Um. Hmm. Yeah. Uh. Microsoft Docker substantial. Uh. So Microsoft tried to buy them for four billion. Um. Docker. Yeah. And they walked away from that. <sighs> Apparently. How do you walk away from four billion? Like. Is the I, multiplier I not right? But then wait, you have well. So it says that they raised two point uh, two hundred seventy three million since its inception in twenty ten. But still, four billion on that right is like it's a huge multiplier, you know? Right, like that, that's a that should make somebody happy. Um, so they, they've they brought in two hundred seventy three million, which is just a huge number since two thousand ten, right? It is a huge number. <laughs> um. And then, you know, Microsoft reportedly made um, an offer in, uh, what, uh, like 2017, I think is what they were talking about, uh, for $4 billion. Um, which, you know, to me seems like, uh, you know, you know, obviously, you know, we're, we're on the outside, right? So, you know, who knows? Yeah, but billion with a B. I mean, yeah. like the multiplier there on on revenue versus overhead seems and, pretty I mean, good, right? Like, like you've got two hundred and seventy three million in in VC money. And, yeah, like that's the GDP of what country? Yeah, So so anyway, th th those were just some of the things that I'd scraped up was, uh, and it was mostly like weird weird stuff like that, like carbon black being purchased, um, you know. I mean, I the carbon black thing makes total sense with with the end end node 
market um, in the in the way that they're they're pricing out quotes in the enterprise. I mean, that's a pretty big deal, you know. I mean, VMware is just a monster oh, gobbling yeah, stuff so. up. Uh, they don't seem to be losing the capabilities once they buy stuff, which is smart, you know. Um, yeah, no, I think it's a brilliant move on VMware's part. Um, you know, add a really, you know, high-end endpoint security, enterprise endpoint security tool like that uh, into their arsenal. I mean, that, I don't see how that doesn't make sense, right? That's just got to mm-hmm. be a win. Um, $2.1 billion seems kind of huge. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure what their, their sales figures look like or anything like that. True, true. But I, I saw um, FireEye had acquired another company, um, Verodin, recently. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really know much about them, uh, so I suck. But it seems like you know this last quarter is is you know who's going to be positioning their acquisitions for for next year. You know, I mean, yeah. Well, did you see where pretty much everybody had passed on FireEye um, as a, as an acquisition target? All, all the big players they need to. Um, and, I mean, it's and they're crap. now right. They're now shopping themselves to private equity firms. Really? Um, yeah. That was that was the news, the big news last week, um, was that you know, pretty much every major player in the in the market had uh, had taken a pass on them, and uh, and that so they were you know, looking to you know BlackRock or one of those those places, right? You know, somebody mm-hmm. with, with you know huge pockets and and uh, uh, who knows what they exactly do. Uh, well, they got off on the right foot to begin with with Sequoia and, and those guys. Um, yeah, but. Man, you know the the end game of that, or the end story of that, is is somewhat predictable, knowing knowing some of the players. But it's it's interesting that other people that aren't really technical and in the weeds are are coming to the same conclusions. You know, right? Well, um, I think I sent you a piece last week that I thought was super interesting about um, the earnings per. It was it was actually a financial analyst who'd run down the earnings per um, for the big companies like that. Um, yeah, like the earnings based on how much each employee is actually producing. Right. Um, Man, if yeah, we was, if we got an eval based on that, we would just be like multiplier times twenty or something, you know? Right. So it was this analyst over at uh, Seeking Alpha. Seeking uh, website, Alpha. Yeah. Seeking Alpha. Um, very cool website. Lots of lots of interesting, you know, uh, analysis, and they kind of explain their analysis out all, all financial stuff. But but what I thought was the most interesting piece in there was they had a uh, a bit on uh, they'd actually uh, I can't get back to the article um, where where they'd rated all of the like big enterprise security companies based on dollars earned per employee i love and, that uh, i love that yeah i and, mean that's uh, that's really helpful for the boutique market the smaller guys like us and and you like you can actually quantify this is how strong the team is not just based on the pnl and you know it, it's always irritating to me to to you know have that discussion and you're like well if you throw more bodies at this this is gonna be 10 times better just because look at what we're performing at now at this, you know, velocity and this size and, you know, it's, it's, it's quick and fast and 
and awesome, but this this other place over here who's huge and has millions and millions of dollars, it costs them so much per client, you know? Right, and uh, they were using uh, Palo Alto as, as basically the, yeah. uh, the high watermark for that, um, saying that, you know, that the average, uh, you know, earnings per employee at Palo Alto is somewhere around the, you know, 650,000 per employee sort of sort of situation, which strangely enough, kind of mirrors what I'm seeing with my clients. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, but I mean, the Palo Alto thing on average, I mean, depending on how many people are in, in, you know, some of those states that it's going to be higher per employee to, to keep them, you know, Oh sure. Even even at three hundred grand a year, you're still doubling, you know, mm-hmm. the the revenue per employee. I mean, but when you're as big a shop as say you know Mandiant and your average earnings per employer two hundred twenty k, um, you know that's 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 actually below what a little company like myself does for for services. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Um, and, I'm, and that's, I'm with you. You know, obviously on something that large, that's that's not a sustainable model. Um, now a big chunk of that is obviously you know Palo Alto, huge, huge amounts of hardware going out the door, stuff like that. Like I said, I have a lot of clients uh, switching their you know old Cisco gear and and uh, and Sonic Wall and, and uh, Checkpoint stuff out for for Palo Alto gear and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Gen- generally seems to be pretty popular amongst the network you know security crowd. I, I I think it is too. I mean, we were talking last week about that compromise uh, where the solution that they had was just, well, let's just put in a Palo Alto. You know, it's like, <laughs> you're like, well, what about a, a bunch of other stuff? You know, like, it's not about, you know, yeah, putting in new that's... shiny toys, maybe not a flat network, maybe ingress egress filtering, maybe two-factor authentication, you know? Yeah, no, that, um, that particular client is going to put in brand new shiny Palo Alto firewalls, which are awesome. Um, you know, I, I'd take them. Yeah. Um, you know, they they get all the licensing for them, and then they're not going to do anything with them, right? They're they're gonna they're gonna yeah. do the minimalistic filtering, no real you know checking or testing, um, you know uh, that they've always been doing. So while they're going to have you know what arguably might be some of the you know the best hardware on the planet, they're not they're not going to make use of it, right? Yeah, and yeah. It doesn't address their basic problems, which is you know giant flat uncontrolled network um on the inside stuff like that um it was interesting i spoke at um the actually i keynoted Ooh, i keynoted. dang dude hashtag awesome I know, right like craziness um at the uh the dmv Cybersecurity symposium last friday and one of the other speakers right in front of me was uh, assistant director of threat intel for palo alto uh her name was jen and it's going to escape me now. Uh, but I was asking her, her questions about, you know, the uh, the integration, you know, uh, of, you know, their Threat Intel products, their IDS or IPS, you know, where, where they're starting to merge everything onto those devices, right? Yeah. Um, which, you know, is, is cool. And, and from a management standpoint of those devices, you know, I'm 100% with that. And she was talking about, you know, she's actually showing me like, oh, look, we have these, you know, unified management consoles so you can see all your devices and you can manage, you know, like heart bait and, you know, and know that they're up to the right versions and patch levels and you've got the same rule sets across, you know, and I was like, yeah, that's that's, that's wicked awesome. And that's obviously why you guys are killing it. Um, but I started ta- asking her about, you know, my concern is 
really strong perimeter security is awesome, right? Like, fantastic, way to go, um, you know. But uh, what about the inside of the network? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. No, nobody loves it. Nobody's watching that traffic. It's, you know, if it goes in and outbound, you know, we're, we're filtering it to death and, and matching it up against things. But there's just not a lot of watching that internal traffic. Well, I mean, even even watching that internal traffic, you know, within that that internal network, not leaving the network, there's not a lot of signatures looking for things that move lateral just because there's such a high false positive rate in that development. Right. You know, like there's not there's not a huge data set to test for those rules. I mean, I know when, when we were helping out the emerging threats folks before the proof point acquisition, you know, we would take, you know, we had terabytes of packet captures that we would run every new rule against before we threw it out the door. And the ones that, that, that were really the worst were always, you know, MSRPC um, or PDF stuff on the inside if you didn't do, you know, correct, you know, flows and anchoring the right way. I mean, you're just going to get hit with a million false positives and then no one, no one wants to, like, trust that. And so, um, you know, the inside part of it that's that's always hard from a signature perspective and also from the insider perspective you know i mean right how many how many how many compromises or even investigations in the last 15 years have always been insiders it's like 95 percent, 90 you know other right, than no, the yeah. ransomware right <laughs> you know yeah i mean all the numbers point to you know like 66 percent of the time like two-thirds of the time and, and you know like Verizon reports, the FBI reports, DHS, you know, like they always point to the same thing. The semantic report, like 60% of the time, it's going to be inside stuff, you know, just, just data walking out the door. Right. Um, right. You know, or George, just somebody fouling up on like an epic level. Right. And, and then, you know, hiding it, things like this. And, uh, well, you know, you even hear uh, some of the, the rumors out there right now with, you know, uh, people targeting places like SpaceX and Tesla by, you know, the Chinese just basically just sitting in the parking lot, yeah. hitting people up and being like, hey, uh, you want to make some extra money? And they're like, <laughs> excuse me? And, you know, how, how do they, how do they, you know, thwart that? And how do they monitor for that? Like, hey, don't talk to anybody in the parking lot, you know, or, you know, other than doing perimeter security even past your, your campus, you know? Yep. Um, I heard that from a mutual friend of ours in the uh, electric scooter industry that that industry's so explosive, you know, as, as far as growth, um, but but really a very limited engineering community, right? There's right, right. There's, a, there's only so many developers that have ever worked on anything like that, you know, both on the on the hardware engineering, and the software engineering side, and that the amount of crazy back and forth poaching people and and uh, you know sending people over to you know work for somebody for for two months to to scarf their best ideas and come back and, and things like this was just you know this just crazy stories you're like that that actually happens you know it's like yeah it happens in that industry all the time because it's just you know new explosive emerging market there's so much money in it right yeah well i mean those those little electric electric scooters are hitting a broad age range on end users i mean i know my kids have them yeah. Tons of kids have them. Old people have them. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm talking like the rental ones that you see in cities, right? Oh, okay, okay. You know, the the limes, the birds, the, I think there's orange or something. I, you know, I, I can't keep up with all the colors, but, you know, um, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, um, 
and, and you know, but but again, that's an industry that's popped up what in the last two years, mm-hmm. three years. I mean, like it can't be more than that. And some of these things are in a hundred cities worldwide and stuff like that. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But you know, how many how many designers can there be out there for? <laughs> for you know consumer grade electric you know rental scooters right they're just they can't be a big pool of people yeah. that have ever ever worked on that all 17 of them exactly all all 17 of those guys so yeah. I mean, it's perfect industry for that insider problem right yeah 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 you know you just go and throw a bucket of money on some engineer and uh you know come on over well, having said that yeah. we should not be talking bad about the scooter industry i'm sure they're, they're doing all the right things yeah i mean yeah <laughs> Sorry, didn't mean to well, um, kind of talking a little bit about your your stuff on on the DMV stuff, you know, addressing the DMV stuff. Some of the some of the threats that I've seen over the years, specifically to DMV stuff, was um, how um, different states are handling confidential informants within the state. Um, and and so a lot of them will 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 end up taking, you know, embedding a status in the actual photo ID or you know in your in your driver's license, and then when it gets swiped um, or sure. pinged by law enforcement, if if you're a confidential CI, like it it lets that officer know, like, hey, you know, pass or no pass, let those guys go. Well. Um, what ended up happening was in in a few different places was the cartels ended up figuring out like, Hey, uh, we could start compromising those databases and looking for who might be a CI that's buying from some of our downstream guys and, you know, boost our profits. So, um, what, what ended up happening was a few dudes ended up getting shot in the face when they go and, and, and buy their stuff from a distributor. Cause he'd be like, Hey, give me your ID. We're going to swipe it. And then from that, you know, like, oh, you're a CI, boom, you're done, you know. Um, so I kind of like some of that that risk matrix in, in some of those areas is really interesting because it's got overlap in the physical world and the cyber world and the physical security and the, the security of drivers and, you know, the, the you know, tertiary effects on, you know, election security. And, like, there's just so much stuff just tied up in th- that one small thing that you know those guys might be thinking oh well it's just network security or it's just ids you know like it's the the impact is so much greater across the board and and that so that's i I share all that because the theme that we're we are kind of pursuing a little bit under the covers is you know it's not all about cyber anymore it's not all about trophy hacking it's it's about all these other secondary and third order effects in, sure. in compromises that maybe some people might not know about or think about or, you know, hey, maybe there's a DMV out there that's working with their, you know, Bureau of Investigation in, in intrastate, and uh, that's how they're handling confidential informants, you know? Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. I mean, whenever you have a, a situation where you got, um, you know, a combination of of organized crime, you know, actually getting into, you know, serious serious data elements and things like that i mean that that starts to become really dangerous right i mean there's <laughs> you know the worldwide drug cartel you know it, it, that's trillions of dollars right right you know that's gonna that's gonna buy access to you know data sets and things like that that aren't you know 
<laughs> may not be as well controlled as they they really they really ought to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and also a lot of the states are looking at it from just the fact of like, well, I've got two or three FTEs that should be enough. Hold on, I'm getting some weird audio in my. Huh. All right. Sorry. I was saying uh, sometimes the the a state you know a state CMV might be thinking oh well you know we're going to go super heavy on you know physical security and and cops and and all that you know you know state troopers but they're not necessarily pushing in more cybersecurity and and more focus on the cybersecurity process and you know all all of that so well it's I mean I, I think we both know that you know. The level of IT and automation in, in law enforcement industry, especially at the, the state and local level, can be you know pretty pretty minimal. Right, right, right. There's there's not a lot of you know there's just real limited budgets there, right, mm-hmm. um, and things like that where it just doesn't doesn't allow for maybe the you know the top level of security that you might get you know was you know say a, a bureau database or something like that's going to be more highly protected. Right, right. Um, just, just tough space. All right. So one, one of the other things I had this week too, and it falls directly into Alabama. Um, as long as we're talking about crossovers from, uh, from uh, digital into the real world, uh, ransomware actually taking hospitals down to the point of they can't provide patient services. Um, yeah. Yeah. Happen happened uh last week uh i don't want to say necessarily just in your area but uh it's reported out of the the tuscaloosa area that uh, a couple different hospitals uh were were just completely down um which is you know crazy um but i guess it i mean that's that's a that's a real impact of something which is yeah, I mean that, and you know, not not super sophisticated, right? Yeah. We're talking to, you know, a little bit of spreading and a little encryption, and you know, and all of a sudden people can't get healthcare. Well, worse than that, what if it's tied to your breathing machine? Right. You know what I mean? Like straight up, yeah. um, boom! You're you're yeah. you've got three or four minutes there. You know. Um, and what I'd seen from some of the hospitals is they were reporting that, you know with the exception of emergency services. Yeah, I saw um, that. I saw you that. know, they, they basically weren't taking on any any new patients and things like this until they had it sorted out. Uh, but you're right. If you are if, if you have a, a loved one or you're a patient in one of those hospitals at that time, you know, you, all those systems being tied together. I mean, I assume they do exactly like the stock market or anybody else that's, you know, mm-hmm. the industry's been around forever, uh, you know, when they're hit with a cyber attack, which is, you know, they – doctors and nurses go right back to the old school way of doing it right yeah well i i yeah i i i wonder if a CISO is going to get fired for that or if if maybe they're gonna you know maybe the issue wasn't necessarily all technical it was because maybe they were not given the authority to do their job you know i mean you see that right. all the time where it's like especially in in healthcare where it's like the doctors are running the show and they're th- they're saying, oh, I want this tech, I want this, I don't want to be impeded, I I don't want any any complications, and and then security goes out the door just because everybody wants to make sure those guys are happy because they're bringing in the bucks. Right. Um, meanwhile, what happened to ingress egress filtering? What happened to that two factor authentication? What happened to 
segmentation. You know, like it just walked out the door because they want to make sure everything's got connectivity everywhere and it's as easy as possible, but it's also as easy as possible for, you know, that lateral movement and just yeah. ransomware and the crap out of stuff. And, um, well, and as, as yeah. you know from having worked in that space, there's also those extra layers there, like you know, FDA approved equipment, uh, yeah. you know, multi million dollar you know uh, MRI machines and things like this. That you don't you don't exactly put your you know security endpoint on the controller for that equipment. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't really put security on those things all the time, but you can put security around it. I mean, I I remember when. Um, you know, we were we were allowed to to take six months and, and reverse a an EMR EHR system, and um, you know, like the amount of vulnerabilities there across every possible vulnerability class was just amazing. I mean, you had buffer overflows, you had heap overflows, you had you know SQL injection, you had decryption of passwords and memory, you had you know data at rest vulnerabilities you had soap vulnerabilities you had i mean like any way data was accessed there was always a problem and you know luckily we were able to like introduce security around all that vulnerability and and really kind of map out the unknown unknowns but not many people are doing that nor are they trying to put security around all those vulnerable points you know i mean I think that was probably the most progressive CISO we've seen. Well, the there's, years, there's you know? so much. Um, what do you, you want to call it? There, the, the industry's sort of collapsing, right? There's a lot yeah. of, of you know, there's some big moneyed you know healthcare organizations out there buying up lots of smaller mm-hmm. ones, adding them on, becoming you know gigantic multi-state you know, or even you know nationwide operations and things like this. Those are significantly difficult, you know. Oh yeah, the one, I mean, to the, manage a monitor. Yeah, the the inherent debt that you're purchasing, you know, like oh my gosh, it, it could sink your ship. I mean, how how many? I mean, it, you had the same the same dynamic going on before HIPAA and Sarbanes Oxley, early two thousands. You know, there was a lot of of. Uh, acquisitions, consolidations in, in the healthcare market. Um, you know, things things were expanding and collapsing, and now we're having the same thing. And, and you know, at the time I worked at HealthSouth, uh, you know, the first company that had ever been charged with uh, Sarbanes-Oxley on uh, cooking, I think, $4 billion in, uh, in strange... Good, good times. It was, yeah. it was a small $4 billion. It was a small, small B... Um, <laughs> small B, but I, I, I remember, you know, that they, they were just buying up so many different healthcare companies and we were doing assessments and trying to, you know, collapse in some security on everything. And I mean, it was just like nuts how vulnerable things were all the time. And it was just, and there was just no regard to security, um, some of those big, you know, x-ray machines out there, you know, you would just, you know, it's running IRIX or something, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. um, but it had been running forever, so nobody can touch it, you know? And, um, well, and there's real concerns there, right? Like there, these are FDA accredited and approved machines. You can't, 
you can't really, you know, alter them in any way. Right. You can't alter them, but like just putting security around each one of those areas that, that in itself, I mean, you're, you're putting in network segmentation, you're putting in new configurations that aren't scalable across every organization. You're putting in, you know, the firewall for that. You're, it's just a nightmare from a scalability and cost perspective from the, to the business. And then, you know, the business doesn't want to hear like, oh, you got to do it this way. They don't want to hear no either. So it's, yep. you know, um, yeah. still back into that, you know, authority versus influence and then, and then acceptable risk. And I guess one, one of the things that, that was plaguing us at the time then was, um, you know, the acceptable risk bug. Oh, everything's acceptable risk. You know, like there's never anything that wasn't acceptable, even if it was like absolutely crazy. It was just, yeah, if we don't really want to think about that, yeah, stand acceptable risk. Acceptable risk statement. Yeah. Yep. And, Move on with that. And but you know it, now with like some of the stuff, like the ransomware stuff, taking down entire hospitals. You know. Well, and just uh, what uh, a little over a month ago, three hundred plus dental offices. Uh, all got hit with uh, ransomware that actually came through the uh, the MR provider. Oh, nice! Um, yeah, so they they all they all purchased you know services from a, a central MSP basically that, that ran this EMR system. <laughs> Credentials were used at the MSP to push ransomware to all three hundred plus you know, <laughs> dental offices, and, and then it ate their networks. Right, like not you know. Not only did it cut them off from their EMR data, their health records and stuff, it, it you know, proceeded to work its way around the, the dental offices and, and crush all their equipment there. Um, we've talked to several of those dental offices after the fact, and they're, you know, 60 days later, they're still trying to recover from that because they, they didn't have, you know, as with a lot of small companies, right? Uh, small dental offices, small doctor offices are no different than any other, you know, small business, you know, 15, 20, 30 mm-hmm. employees. Uh, you know, they, they don't have big fancy, you know, backup systems and, you know, and, and people to take care of that and stuff like that. Most of them had, you know, minimal, minimal sort of, uh, you know, backup so that they were left with, you know, totally rolling equipment out or just starting over from bare metal. Well, in the vein of, of dentist offices, I saw one not too long ago that didn't have any computers. Everything was paper. That, that they're, almost they're, scares me worse. <laughs> even even down to the calendar system. They would just, you know. Yeah. Everything, everything was paper. And uh, it makes sense if, if things are going to be too complicated for them and, and regulatory risk or that is there and then the outsource provider you're using gets you owned and... Sure, in a, in a small I mean, enough practice, you can see where that makes sense. Um, I don't know what they would do with the portability portion. Um, I mean, I guess you'd rely on... Here's your file folder. You know, some, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, You're in charge you know, of it now, you know? Yeah, um, that w- that's interesting. Um, I, you know, and, and not necessarily a terrible idea, right? But you, you obviously can't run a hospital like, well, I guess they used to run hospitals like that, but... You can't efficiently run, you know, large, larger organizations like that. But I can see on a smaller level where you could easily get away with doing something like yeah, that, right? Yeah. You know, three or four dental chairs, that's all you got. A couple thousand patients, a couple lock cabinets, and, uh, you know, and, and uh, some paperwork. Why yeah. not? 
I mean, you you limit your liability down to fire insurance, really. Right. I would think your difficulty there would be when it comes to like processing your insurance stuff and things like that, because I assume that a lot of that has to be just, you know, the way you do this is through this online portal, right? I, I bet you money there's still a fax machine. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, mean? I still have a fax machine. <laughs> I needed to I needed to fax something to somebody yesterday and I was like we don't have one, you know? Yeah. Like I guess we no, need to we, buy one. We actually still have one. Uh still have a fax line the whole bit. Um and and we use it specifically for you know, look, I'm going to send you some ultra sensitive data and I don't want it going across the network, right? You know, um you know, sometimes we'll send uh, people breach data and stuff like that. And it's funny because you'll talk to somebody and you're like, yeah, I'm going to fax this to you because I, I just don't want it to go across your network. And they're like, ah, oh, fax. Uh, I think we have one of those somewhere. Uh, you know, but it, but it's funny. I mean, a lot of organizations still do, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a crazy simple fallback, but uh, it does work. You know, I love backup plans. So Yeah, I'm with you on that. That's my thing. Uh, let's see. What else did I have on my crazy list of stuff? All right. So we talked about the carbon black thing. Oh, so, so these kind of two things go together. So along the line of VMware, we had uh, Michael Dell last week uh, at a big conference talking about uh, how VMware is going to get to Kubernetes soon. Like literally the quote was soon. <laughs> I was like, huh, doesn't that, uh, doesn't that seem like you should maybe already be there giant company like yourself um and then then right on the tail of that um was uh docker announcing that they're basically running out of money and going broke and i was like how does how does that how does that happen i don't, I don't know about your clients but in my client base man everybody is is all kubernetes all the time right like it's, it's yeah it's the new thing they're just you know <laughs> yeah, and and where we're not using it, we've been moving to use it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it just straight. it makes sense across you know deploying stuff across mm -hmm. multiple infrastructures, architectures. It's repeatable. I mean, why why not use it? You know? Self scaling, all that other sort of stuff, right? I mean, uh, so we're we're seeing a huge amount of that, you know, uh, in our clients, um, with obviously the you know the standard growing pains and stuff like that. Um, associated with it, but the, but the numbers I pulled here was uh, Docker. Docker's raised 273 million since their inception in 2010. Um, 273 million, which I guess is, I mean, as pervasive as that tool is, right? That doesn't seem like that big a raise. Yeah, I mean, um, you divide that by nine years, right? Uh, but the rumor is on the street that uh, Microsoft offered to buy them for four billion. Four, well, I think it was the big B. Yeah, no, B. I think I, that might still be a little B. I don't know. Mm. I mean, it's only B. it's it's only four, right? Yeah, it's it's a small number, as the kids would say. It's a <laughs> That's, four. Yeah. Four is yeah. not hard. I can yeah. add that together. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's small. Uh, yeah, in 2017, and, and apparently it didn't. Uh, well, as we all know, it didn't happen, and now, now they're in some sort of, of financial difficulty, and uh, I saw piece where they were talking about maybe having to lay off uh you know employees and things like this which uh just seems stunning for the explosion of that technology 
and maybe it's the way they're licensed maybe you know how they work with other companies mm-hmm. things like that I, you know I don't, I don't know what's causing that but um you know seems like uh well seems like how is that possible <laughs> when, uh, yeah i don't know uh, every, I, every client i have is moving that direction yeah you know? i don't know i don't know i mean hmm yeah i don't know because as you know like our our experience has always been bootstrap um versus non-bootstrap uh so there's there's a lot of different dynamics there uh but i think that there's also a lot more freedom and a, a lot more awareness on where money's going where money's coming from um just as a natural offset of of having to you know produce it and I always wonder, you know, like you always see a handful of people that get a lot of VC and it just, it's, it's supreme failure. Some of that, I, I wonder if it's just supreme failure because they're getting a lot of free success right away and, and that, you know, they're not getting enough stress to push them through. So who knows, man, you know, maybe, maybe they, you know, maybe it might be just as simple as also, you know, maybe not a VC versus not non-VC issue. It's just cash flow is complex. How many employees right. do they have like that? You know, where are yeah. those employees? Which states are they from? Are they, are they even thinking about what the cost is per state? And, you know, maybe they got sued by maybe two or three employees for something bad in a state that has a lot more regulation. And Hey, maybe, Maybe that's what's getting him. Who who really knows? I mean, it, it yeah, could be I, a, I a variety of issues that just are complex, just from a business perspective, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it seems like. See, I guess from the outside, and, and maybe it's just you know business practices, right? Like, you know, maybe you go from startup to a two hundred seventy-three million dollar funded company uh, in a, you know a period of what nine years, ten years. Um, Maybe maybe you don't have the greatest underpinnings there, right? And uh, yeah, you know. But still, to to walk or maybe away it goes from all that, back li- to that revenue yeah. per headcount, who knows? I, I don't. But to walk just, away from that little B, that four billion, like what was the what was the target they're going for? Yeah, that. Uh, you know, how many series? How many series of uh, of uh, fund rounds of funding did they have? You know. Yeah, and 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 that's that's kind of a weird thing right now. Um, the, the whole Microsoft thing, uh, Microsoft apparently embracing the whole Linux thing without any any of the kind of baggage that's been there over the years. Um, you know, they have they own GitHub now. Um, you know, they, they've made a lot of really smart acquisitions over the last few years too. Um, and, and you know, so far I was actually reading a piece from uh, Linus Torvalds last week saying you know he was. He was basically cautiously optimistic about, you know, uh, uh, Microsoft's involvement, you know, in Linux and, and them recognizing it was such a large part of the Azure platform and stuff like this that they needed to, you know, step in and quit fighting it and, and get on board with it. But uh, but Microsoft becoming something of like a a really large, strangely enough, open source player, right? I mean, yeah, but I mean, in the end, certain 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 levels of lore will will possibly disappear you know like things expand and contract and then history repeats itself and you know maybe in 15 years we're going to have a whole nother you know 
maybe Microsoft will be the Sun Microsystems of the day, and open source is gone for a while. You know, like, yeah. and then open source is going to have to reemerge later. And I mean, who knows? You know, I I don't. I just uh, I think they're making some interesting moves here and there. Yeah, I but think I mean, they are. them again going back to them offering four billion dollars supposedly, rumor. Yeah, yeah, uh, four billion. Docker. I mean, that's that's a, again a big move on. You know the open source sort of community, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, shows shows some sort of vision there, right? Outside of the the Windows operating system, and and obviously their their Azure platforms, you know, growing rapidly. Yeah, yeah.